This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the MK1 podcast, a podcast on myself, Joe and Ross, and everything on Keen's Dance. Unfortunately, uh, Ross had to sit this one out due to personal reasons, but no worries, me and Joe will take you through it. So first of all, Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. How are you? How's your week been? Uh, yeah, the week's been good. Weekend wasn't so good, um, but I'm glad, no. it's been, <laughs> I'm glad it's been put in the past well, so you can move on. Soon getting stuck into that, the one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get into the aforementioned uh, unfortunate weekend, um, the club released some news regarding uh, seat ticket direct debit payments and how they've been suspended for October. Uh, and as a direct debit payment person myself, and I believe you are as well, Joe. Uh, yep, the general yep, consensus, yeah, the general consensus that I got from the fan base was that they were more than happy to. You know, keep our payments with the club, uh, as you know, we don't want to put you know potential people in jeopardy or any potential transfer plans jeopardy. Whether that would go towards that, um, in a way that you know, put, well, essentially puts in jeopardy. Um, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yourself, Joe. Like, what do you think about the club? Yes, giving us our money back, and it's, it seems like a real gesture, but how could it impact the club going forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're not going to know fully the, the ins and outs and the exact amounts, but I'm guessing it would be costing the club tens of thousands uh, by by withholding these these payments. And it's a great gesture, but as you said, I think there's, me, me included, I think there's many people that would be more than happy for the club to keep that money. And if, if, if they're short of money, I'm sure if they just hurry up and release that training gear, I'm sure that will generate certainly a few thousand if they really need it. Yeah, definitely. I know um, I'll be buying a few pieces, that's for sure. Definitely, yeah. Um, uh, Andy Cullen's interview also spoke about how uh, the Red Dot app, which uh, typically is associated with the match day programmes, is going to launch on Saturday. And he's actually going to make that free to all season ticket holders. So that'll be a nice gesture from the club. 
um, and something that we could utilise on match days uh, starting this weekend. So that's great. Uh, first of all, the yeah, elephant in the I room. Think... Oh, sorry, Joe. Oh, sorry, yes. I was just just, right. just just quickly jumping on that. I think um, I think yeah, it is a good idea, especially in terms of efficiencies for the club. In terms of, I, I'm sure there's many leftover programs from games, uh, Tuesday night games, and 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 the like. But I do think there should potentially be an option still for the physical copies of the programs because I do I do think that a lot of people do like to especially for the big games. I think people do like to, to keep hold of them. So maybe, hopefully we're not fully online, but I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big endorser of the physical matchday programmes. So whenever I go to a game, I always like to buy one, no matter like where it is and what club. Um, but yeah, it'll be an interesting experience to having it digitally for the first time. And uh, yeah, it'll be, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, let's avoid the elephant in the room. Um, we travelled to Crew at the weekend and we, you know, we lost 2-0. Uh, it wasn't a great performance at all. Um, and for me personally, um, I felt that Crew did exactly what we should have done to them and in the vice versa way, so they did it to us. Uh, you know, they, they pressed us high, they forced mistakes from us and eventually the mistakes led to the two goals. And, you know, we're going to talk about it a bit later, but Essentially, the energy was drained from the side and they didn't, they didn't put up a fight. You know, we put out a tweet saying how the Dons created 0.5 XG and 80% of that came from Joe Mason. So there is a clear lack of creativity throughout the team. And it is quite worrying, despite maybe not so our creative players being fully fit, as there's a lot of a burden on those couple of players to essentially create goals for us. Uh, Joe, what were your thoughts on... Saturday's performance. I think, I mean, there's no beating around the bush. It was absolutely abysmal. The the fact that Crew were able to carve us open almost at will, and it wasn't even as if they had the ball. That we, I mean, I think we it was seventy percent possession we had. So for that thirty percent, for them to generate the chances that they did, and a few very near misses, uh, where luckily there was flags for offside, but it, it could have easily been four or five. And I, I do think. I do think that this was a one-off, and I, well, I certainly hope it was. You look at the previous two games, we had, in terms of just shot creation, like you meant, just mentioned there, how we struggled to create chances. I mean, a, a, against Lincoln, we had double the shots of Lincoln. They're currently joint top, and they've uh, picked up 100% of the points uh, from, from their game so far. And or, similarly with Doncaster, we came away from Doncaster gutted that we didn't win. And we had three times the amount of shots as Doncaster, and we're the only team that's currently taken points off them this season. I know it's, I know it's early days, but it's, I think there's no excuse in that performance. But the only thing I would say is I, I, I don't think that it's going to be a performance which is going to happen many times this season for sure. Yeah, let's hope not. That's 100% correct. Uh, sure, I suppose. Uh, yeah, for me, I felt as though the left-hand side of the defence really let us down. Um, and unfortunately, when I say this name, I mean Cargill and Saranola. I just don't think uh, Matty Saranola is suited to a, a wing-back role. Uh, I feel he, especially for the first goal, he just got completely bullied in the air and eventually led to a cross, which uh, a man headed in. And, you know, we're talking about 
we saw a potential change, change of system uh, halfway through the game. And we're going to get on later to talking about how, you know, is this a permanent thing we might see or, you know, I'm being too exposed by this 3-5-2 formation or 3-4, well, 3-1-4-2 formation. So we spoke in episode yeah, I, two. I, oh, sorry. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. Just, just adding on to that, you were talking about the left side of defence there. I was just having a look at, at, at the player stats from the game. And I think Sorinola really didn't help Bailey Cargill out in this game. I think Bailey Cargill, he, he, he committed four fouls. And a lot of the time, you'd have to say that that was when Sorinola had let his man carry on and Cargill pretty much had no choice but to, but to commit a foul. And I think with Cargill being so attacking, you do need someone a little bit more physical, a little bit more solid with Cargill on that side. I mean, O'Hora doesn't get forward just quite as much. But I think, yeah, just that pairing of Cargill and Sorinola for me, it, it just it just looked weak against uh, against that crew team on on Saturday. Yeah, I mean we saw with we saw with Cargill and uh, Harvey how there's a lack of chemistry there, which is expected. You know, it's only been uh, two or course, so games played together. Um, but yeah, Cargill and Sorinola just did not look. It was like yin and yang on that side. It just didn't yeah. didn't work. They had to be two separate uh, things completely. And you know, Russ Martin in episode two we spoke about. In his press conference, he talked about the team being patient. But as you mentioned, to have like such little shots, like two shots in the game, twenty percent possession, that's not being patient. That's just being, you know, reluctant to have a go. And it's, it was a complete yeah. contrast from the team we saw at Doncaster, who were shooting small angles and you know creating these almost too there. much. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, at least they had a go, and you yeah, know, definitely. eventually, you know, if, if Cargo wasn't so progressive and forward thinking he wouldn't have got that goal we would have lost we'd be sitting you know possibly bottom of the league so uh, yeah. just quickly on Cargill as well he, he he tried seven dribbles and he only completed one so I think crew really did well too at, at the other end of the pitch you know in terms of attacking I think they really did well to just cancel the threat of Cargill which kind of led us to be reliant on Sorinola and Britain in those attacking attacking third and I, I just they just didn't produce anything really to be quite honest yeah it wasn't the best performance at all um a theme we spoke about in episode two was uh the perceived lack of communication along the back line and a bit like this pandemic we're in unfortunately it seemed to spread across the whole team from what i saw and it, it basically got worse um yeah. i don't know if you had any thoughts on the to see that communication throughout the, uh, throughout the team on the weekend, Joe, and whether you saw it or you didn't see it. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was definitely apparent. I think, especially in terms of oh, I mentioned about the Lincoln game, and we we conceded from across, and it ended up with our right wing back being the person that was challenging a six foot plus striker for the ball, and against uh, on on Saturday, the amount of times where. You know, if you're going to play a high line, everyone needs to be high. You need all need to be joined up. You need to be in sync with one another. And if with a high line, if you get it wrong, it goes wrong dramatically. And I feel that so many times they were in behind, and that if anything, they were wasteful with their chances. And I think with O'Hora, you know, it's his first time in men's football. You, you know, you could maybe give him a bit of leeway. Lewington, I, I thought on the ball you can't fault Lewington, but 
he, he's never struck me as a sort he's not a shouty person he's not the sort of person to he doesn't strike me as the best of organizers and i think with keo coming back it's a real sort of almost what russell martin did when he came in to the defense it's it's a, a boost for all the for all the back line and hopefully a bit of structure perhaps yeah, I've never seen Livingston myself as a vocal leader. And I think a lot of managers in the past have made comments to that. Um, he's very much a dressing room leader, uh, from my opinion. Yeah. And he relies on players like who, when they were hit Alex Gilby to motivate the team and get them pushing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I think once Kia is back fit, obviously you got 10 minutes or so at the weekend. Uh, there's, a very, there's a very likely chance that Livingston isn't in the starting 11 going forward which is going to upset a lot of people, I'm sure. But you've got, to, you've got to think of this with a footballing brain as well as you have with your heart. And you've got to say, Keogh is going to add so much to this defence in terms oh, of, yeah. as a, as a mind explained, like he's a man, he's, he's a man on the pitch and he's unfazed by any situation. And from the way that the team's been heading in terms of performances, we're going to need that presence on the pitch every single game. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I echo exactly what you've said there. And I think it's, we're, we're actually missing George Williams. You know, Harvey didn't play, Paul didn't play, and, and Keogh didn't start. So we've got a real load of options to potentially mix it up at the back. And, you know, I, I personally would say, is there a case for Lewington potentially playing the role that Cargill's been playing? What what, what do you think about that? Um. I mentioned episode one, I believe, that I don't think that that's a good idea. Um, just because we, the whole point of Cargill playing that position is that he's, he's quite, he's not, maybe he's not as mobile as um, other teams that use this overlapping system, but he's a lot more mobile than Livingston. So, <laughs> well, it's not hard. When, when, when he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When he's bobbing forward, you know, having like some Doncaster, he, he can get back and help the team. Whereas I think if Livington is going to operate that left uh, centre-back role in, in a three-back formation, he's going to struggle to get back and we're going to leave players like Harvey even more exposed. Um, and obviously I do I do think that Keogh could deal with more exposure better than Livington just because of familiarity and potential quality. Um, but I don't think it's a good idea, uh, personally. No, no, that's fair enough, that's fair enough. So we referred to it a little bit earlier, but as soon as the Mandarong goal went in, uh, there seemed to be a whole energy drain from the team. You can see it in their faces. Well, at least what I can see from the iFollow screen anyway. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed, Joe, but over the years, it seems to be a common theme throughout these Milton Keynes Don's teams that as soon as a goal goes in, they seem to get a lot of anxiety about situations and they can't seem to bounce back. Um, and... I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, do you think this is a widespread characteristic in football or is it more specifically an MK Don's uh, sort of characteristic? I think it is 100% an MK Don's characteristic. I think I've been, I've been going to games for a few years now with uh, Camden Paul, friend of the podcast, and he's, he's uh, coined a phrase, Milky Don's, and it almost occurs <laughs> pretty much every single away game that, you know, we're playing so well. We get a goal, uh, or the other team gets a goal, big card, and all of a sudden it's heads down. And you look around 
at that team on Saturday, and we mentioned Lewington's not the most vocal of leaders. Who on that team is someone that is a leader and is willing to take the game by <clears throat> by the scruff of the neck? It seems like we've clearly got a lot of technically quality players and some real, real good players for this level. But you look at that team and you, you just don't get really... You just, you just struggle to see who's going to inspire that team to really dig in and try and find something from the game. And I, I feel that's something that we have lacked for a long time. You think back to when we were really you know, challenging at the top of League One. You had the likes of Anthony Kay, you had Kyle McFadden, you had Darren Potter, you had all these sorts of people, these these old heads that would organise, that would, you know, sort people out, and it just feels like something we've been lacking for five years at least. Yeah, I think there's, there's been a lot of talk over the years, uh, just like the symbolism of the captain's armband, if it actually matters anymore, uh, but with Milton Keynes don't, it 100% does, especially when Lewington's wearing it. You know, Lewington's got such a, this prestige around the club of being, you know, he's been here since the start. You know, he is MK Dons, he's Mr. MK Dons. So, if, as long as he's wearing the armband, if you question him or like doubt him, you're putting yourself on the line. And we saw with previous managers and players how that's ended badly for them. And as we talk about Keo, a player like Keo coming in, I do feel he'll be the captain once he gets in the starting lineup. I was on the pitch, of course, and I don't think Livingston will be starting. Um, okay. Cool. And you know he he'll he'll bring that vocal side out and he'll organise this team as Martin was doing whilst he was on the pitch last season. And hopefully we can see a less leaky defence and a bit of pro- progression towards his team rather than regression. Yeah, I think it's 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 you say Keo, and it's it's quite stark that someone coming in is automatically looks like the most likely person to take over the captain's armband. I mean, looking at the start and eleven from Saturday, you'd probably say maybe Houghton or Nichols would be the only two sort of candidates to take that armband. And Nichols, he he, he is. He's, he likes to talk. You can hear him from the sidelines sometimes, but you wouldn't necessarily class him as a leader. And I think with Jordan Houghton, I think he's he's much more of an organiser rather than a leader. So yeah, I, I think Richard Keogh, as I said, will have a, I think he will have a similar effect to Russell Martin and really just helping the team organise and sort itself out and provide that extra five percent perhaps. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. So there was a lot of talk on Twitter this weekend and going into this week about system that we're playing and whether it's a system that works and we can utilise, you know we played quite a high line that was easily exposed last weekend against Crew, and I asked on Twitter for people's opinions on this system whether we should stick with it um, at Mark underscore LA4 spoke about how he would like to go back to the diamond from last season which is the 4-1-2-1-2-1 and he sort of echoed these thoughts about how the defence has been left too open and our win backs like laughing as much as it should be. Whereas people like uh, Dan Phyllis, uh, Dan Phyllis, spoke about how he actually quite likes the idea of the new system of the three centre backs and how we should have a bit of patience with it. And much like our episode two title 
uh, trust the process. So, Joe, I come to you now and asking you, what are your thoughts on this new free at the back system and is change needed? I don't think change is necessarily needed, especially for now. I feel we're quite well suited to play this system. We've got three players that can play on the left, left back. We've got three players that can play at right back. We've got six players that can play at centre back. We're really stocked in that area. And I feel that, that our shortcomings in the past few games haven't been down purely to do with the system. I feel a lot of it's been personnel. I mean, in the games against Lincoln and Doncaster, we did create chances. We just didn't take those chances. And against Crew, I don't think anyone really can come out of that game and say that they had a, a great game. I feel... This, this is a sort of system that can potentially allow us to dominate the ball more. And I feel, you know, I think people are forgetting Scott Fraser. He's hasn't played, hasn't had a pre-season. He's been with the club a couple of weeks. Ben Gladwin, he started his first game in, I believe Russ, Russ said it was just under three years. And these things, last Lassa Sorensen, he's been with us for a couple of weeks. And I just feel that over time, we are going to get more sharp. And I, th I think, especially with a striker coming in, someone to actually finish off these chances that we are creating, or we have created in previous games, I feel things will slot into place eventually. What are your thoughts on, 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 on potentially, what would you say that the merits are of going to a four-back formation if we were to change around? Um, there'd be a lot more structure for sure. Um, I think we saw that last season. You know, it allows players like Lewington to get back his left-back role and, you know, cement that left side down as much as possible. And I feel like it, it could allow our midfield options, like the one you talk about, like Scott Fraser and Ben Gladwin, to yeah. shut the attacking side a bit more. Um, I feel like with the, as they're all 10th at the moment, they're kind of having to maybe restrict their attacking responsibilities for the sake of organisation and, make sure we don't get uh, hit on the counter-attack like maybe we did too much of against Crew. Um, yeah, but yeah. I am with you. Sorry, but can't, can't Joe, carry on. Yeah, I was going to say, well, in, in this in this um, formation, it is much more the the wing-backs that are... In the five-back formation, sorry, it's much more the wing-backs that are the creators, whereas in, in the, the diamond formation that we played at the end of last season, it was much more... The central mid, the, the, a lot of the creativity was coming from the middle, but then I think you've also got a caveat that with the fact that we had, or had two strikers that were quite mobile in Morris and Healy, and Healy was quite happy to go wide and also offer that width. So I, that's why I think is one yeah. of the reasons why he has gone to that three at the back formation. Yeah, I do think um, I think Jordan Hatton said the people called it for change are a bit naive. Um, well, that might be a bit of a harsh comment to make at the moment. Uh, but no, I would stick with the three five two. You know, we've only seen it for three games. And as you mentioned, like these players are not fit. They've been out of training for months. Some of them haven't played in seven years. Uh, yeah. It's frustrating, but we need this need time. And you know, if it if we get to November, December, and results are look staying the same and the performance start improving that's when the change is needed for me anyway um but yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that 
the uh, the, the coaching staff and the players are going to improve in this formation game by game, and in turn we'll see the results improve. I think I think if you completely ignore the crew game, you've got a Northampton game where we dominated, you've got a Coventry game where we missed several chances, and you've got a Doncaster and a Lincoln game where we played pretty well, to be honest. So I think, you know, if you're just basing it off those games and ignoring the crew one completely, as I think Russ Martin called it an outlier, outlier then I think there are positive signs there. Yeah, and... You've got to take calculated risks in football. There's no point in playing it safe. You know, no. Wickham didn't go up from like last season, go up to the championship from playing it safe and not taking risks. You know, they the way they went up was through like ambiguous plays, like set pieces, and literally just taking it to other teams and being this physical side that would just bully you. And I'm not saying we need to do that, but I'm talking more from a sticking with this. Uh, formation system and seeing how it develops and seeing what players are willing to commit to the cause and ones that aren't. And I'm sure the ones that aren't are going to be uh, exiled or moved on fairly quickly because this is Russell Martin's team at the end of the day and we're trying to build something here and you know, trying to change it after three games just doesn't scream of uh, a consistency that's going to work well with what we're trying to work with here. No, and I think with his transfer dealings in the summer, we can see that he has been pretty ruthless. And certain players in the squad as well that are perhaps surplus to requirements, you can tell that he he's he knows what he wants and he's he's pretty set in that. So I think that is a, one good sign. Yeah, it's a nice change for sure. Uh, I feel some players have, you know, perhaps been here a while before and not really earned their keep in a sense. So. It's nice to see that Martin is a bit more ruthless and hopefully that continues because it's good to see. Uh, one last comment we did have from the crew game was the lack of potency. Um, and, you know, we kind of touched a little bit, but all possession we did have, I think it was near 70% that Joey mentioned, there was next to no chances created. Um, Joey, did you have any thoughts on how we could potentially improve our chance creation? Is it, is it literally just a case of giving more minutes to our players like Fraser and Gladwin who are our creative assets? I feel it's it's, it's a weird one because I, I think at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to be creating us the most chances. But you've also got to look out wide. And out wide on, again, on Saturday, we did have Soranola and we did have um, Callum Britton. Now, Callum Britton, he was training away from the club. He's only been back at the club a few weeks. Regan Paul, he's had a really solid pre-season. And I'm, I'm not really sure why he didn't play. Because I think with, with Regan Paul, he, his performances up until now, I, I don't see a reason necessarily why he, he shouldn't be playing. And I feel all of a sudden, if you change those two wing-backs, I feel that, that Paul and, and Harvey... Are potentially much more effective in the final third, especially uh, I think you, you've mentioned before Regan Paul's crossing ability. Um, so many times, Callum Britton, he'd, he'd get into really promising positions and the, the attack then sort of just fizzled out. He didn't actually attempt to cross um, in the game against Crew, which is quite worrying. Um, and I think as well, when you've, when you've got these central midfielders that are more bedded in, I think they're only going to improve and as they learn the system, I think it's only going to get better. 
Yeah, I agree with uh, the win back comments. Uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised regarding the dropping of quite a few players, actually, but Paul in particular, just, I feel like we spoke about you taking calculate risks and I feel like Russ tried to take one on Saturday, uh, maybe tried to send a bit of a shot through the team in terms of the amount of changes he made. Don't many people expected to see, you know, Sarinoda playing over Harvey, despite his maybe slow start to the season. And especially Paul uh, not starting over Britain, that was definitely surprising to me. But yeah, I mean, we've, yeah, I think you're right with the win-back comments. You know, we've, we've still got a lot to see from Harvey yet. He is going to be a really key attacking asset for us in terms of chance creation and trying to get our strikers involved in the game more. And you mentioned regarding Paul, how his crossing ability players like Morris can, you know, feed off those yeah. chances and either create a hold and play for Nombe or make, yeah, yeah, and create like a chance for Nombe or Mason or for the midfield players uh, running off him. Okay, so moving on from the crew game, um, Russell Martin did his uh, press conference for the game ahead of the weekend and let's talk through, through some key points from that. So, one of the main points was that Martin's felt like it's not enough time with the new signings, which is completely understandable to me. And how some key players are not really at their fitness-wise have, after having such a long time off. I think he mentioned people like uh, Gladwin, Fraser, uh, Britain, players we've already spoken about. But the hope is that once these guys are back, you know, they can contribute fully no matter where they're playing and turn the results around. Um, also, uh, the news regarding uh, no fans that we talked about in episode two, uh, that, according to Martin, has altered the transfer plans a little bit. Uh, that's a little worrying to hear, but I'm hoping that the, the, the targets that they have in mind will fit the bill, uh, as he mentioned how a striker was the main focus before the deadline on Monday night. Some more positive news that George, George Williams is available. Uh, he's back in training in a few weeks, and the hope is to play uh, him and Louis Thompson on Tuesday at Stevenage after Thompson has now return to training and is training with the squad. So, Joe, we've got a game in Ipswich Town on Saturday. Take us away. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I fear it may be another tough one, actually, <laughs> judging by uh, the start they've made. Another 100% uh, record in the league. Um, so far, winning every single game 2-0 and doing so without being spectacular, but by doing enough and looking pretty comfortable. Uh, Paul Lambert is still their manager and uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised at that, especially after their quite disappointing season last season. But, I mean, this season it seems as though they've they've started solidly and uh, they'll definitely be looking to uh, have a return to the Championship this season. Uh, the system that they've been playing so far this season is um, looks pretty much like a 4-3-3. It seems as though it's a little bit more conservative than Cruz 4-3-3 in terms of, I think a lot of the creativity comes from the, the wide central midfielders or the wingers. And I feel that the, the, the fullbacks that Ipswich have, they're much more there for solidity. And I think that's been one of the features of uh, Ipswich's game so far is that they have not conceded many uh, top chance, many uh, chances at all in those games. They've, they've got a wealth of attacking options. They've, got uh, Freddie Sears at left wing. They've got uh, Guion Edwards at right wing, who's a very technical player. And 
and then up front they've they've got they've got a host of options. They've got Ollie Hawkins, who's I've heard been likened to the League One Olivier Giroud, a, a great target man. <laughs> you've got a uh, Norwood, who's just an absolutely lethal finisher, and you've got Caden Jackson as well, who could offer you something completely different with his running in behind. Um, one thing I just did wanted to mention that I think is the probably the thing that Ipswich have done best and it's their absolute dominant centre-back partnership of Nassalia and uh, Wilson, the centre-backs. They've, they, they look like absolute monsters. They're dominating everything in the air and on the ground and I think uh, I think we'll really have our work cut out on, on, uh, on Saturday. What are your thoughts on the game, uh, uh, Lynn? Yeah, um, I think for me, the key to this game is going to be winning the field battle. Um, the uh, player, their player of the month, uh, Dizelle and Bishop, have both been highly credited by the fans for their performances in the opening month. And of course, we haven't even counted people like Downs on the bench uh, and players like that who can have that impact, say if they are struggling to create chances. Um, from looking at teams so far, a lot of their attacks are coming on the right-hand side. So similar to Lincoln, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with the back four trying to be a bit of a brick wall, I suppose. Uh, it's more Guion Edwards who's doing that chance creation and trying to set up goals and score goals like he has done. He's got two, I think, in the league this season. Um, but both their goals actually came from the left-hand side at the weekend against Rochdale, uh, with uh, former Premier League wing-back uh, Stephen Ward being at the heart of both of them. And, yeah, it did seem like a solid team that you know, they tend to work from the back and you yeah. have a good time breaking them down. But luckily, I suppose, in a sense, with all the pressure we have been getting, we, if we can be a bit, be a bit more cutthroat with our passing, we could potentially cut through the, the sort of middle lanes and push on a bit more attacking and essentially play it around them rather than go in the air and as you said because the centre pairing is so that's, dominant that's going to end one way if we start lumping it up it is it is going to end <laughs> one way and I think as as well just touching on what you said I think their midfield is is quite attacking so I think it it, it sounds weird but if any if we're going to get them anyway like you say through the midfield I think it will be through the centre of the pitch because their fullbacks are very they're not defensive fullbacks as such but their fullbacks are very good at defending and I feel like if we're going to try and yeah. go down the wings, you know, it's, I just don't feel that we're going to threaten them at all that way. I feel it's going to be much more uh, a technical in the middle battle. And I feel like they, they they don't have as much steel in the midfield. I feel it's very quite an attacking midfield, if anything. Some may say going to the diamond is a good shout for this game. I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> I'm saying I agree with it. I'm just saying. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel as well. I mean, Russ mentioned it in his press conference last season against the big teams because they, because I think I think you'll find with a lot of the big teams in this league, they want to impose their game. They want to play their game rather than stopping the opposition. And I think last season that did suit us in quite a few games. You think back to Oxford at home, uh, Portsmouth, Rotherham away was also mentioned. Those games, the other team tried to play their way and we tried to play our way. And it was in those games that we really did perform well. But in games such as Burton away, when a team literally had set out not to play their game, but just to stop us, those were the games that we struggled in. 
And I feel like Ipswich aren't going to come and just try and stop us. I feel like they are going to try and play themselves. And I feel that's where the gaps could open up in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, definitely. I, they don't see a team that will sit back. They feel like, I think I mentioned, I've listened to Ipswich podcasts and they sort of say how they kind of start off sluggish in the first half and then they bring a few players on because they have such quality throughout their squad and they essentially kick it up to second gear in the second half and that's where their two goals came from the weekend. Sounds, sounds a bit like Tisdale in League 2 bringing on uh, Chucks and EK with 20 minutes to go against a, a tired League 2 defence. <laughs> yes, that not, that's yeah, not a game. Uh, yeah. It's still very fond yeah, of the memory. Um, yeah, I mean, with the, the, we've both had the defence quite a lot, but I think the fact that they've given up zero big chances to a, a Rochdale, albeit injury-hit uh, team, and Bristol Rovers in the last two league games, I don't believe they can see the league goal this season, which is very worrying uh, yeah. going into a game where we've come off a game where we've had two shots in the whole game. Um, oh, it's all looking great, good and rosy, isn't it? Yeah, not so positive as usual, Joe. Well, 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 Liam, what, what are your predictions for this game then? Well, it's funny you should ask me that. Um, just before I get into match actual score prediction, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. If we fail to win on Saturday, it'll be our worst start since the 05 06 season. And how did that season end? And we went on to get relegation. Oh, great. So, so we have to win. And that's why we are going to win 1 0. Wow. And I thought I was being optimistic last week with a 3 1. I. Well, well, you know. Yeah. I, I would be delighted with a 1 0, but I just can't see us keeping a clean sheet but I can see us scoring and I can see it being a much more even game than Crew. I really do think Crew's been an outlier especially at home I'm going for one all Nice no loss is what I like to hear No no. But, yeah the thing is we, ha- we, have, to, we have to react Crew. We can't, we can't go out to this game at home and just go flat even if, even if they score um, you know we have, we have to show something because we can't be a team that, you know, goes into games and like, a bit like last season, I suppose, and have our heads down as soon as the goal goes in and not show anything and let teams get the better of us. We have to... I don't want to say the word that Jose Mourinho used uh, in his first documentary, <laughs> but we, we do have to be that. We have to be that team that wants to take on teams and, you know, show a bit of fight and show a bit of growth. We have to, yeah, be people. We we need to be a team that people don't want to play against. And I feel exactly. far too often we're a soft touch. We we've got great, lovely technical players, and funnily enough, they'll go on and they'll do really well, really good things at other clubs. And it's just it just seems that we it's it's almost too soft, almost too nice at times. Yeah, we've we've got to toughen up. We've got to have the beautiful game, but also that side where we can just rough out a result and take three points. We don't deserve them. Like so many teams done to yeah. us in the past. Yeah, well, that wraps up, that wraps up episode three. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We're finally on actual podcasts. It took a while, but we got there eventually. Um, so it would be great if you could subscribe over there and uh, review uh, a positive review of the podcast. You know, not only does it mean a lot to us, but it, it develops the podcast a lot in terms of getting our name out there. And it, I said it would mean a lot to us. Um, if you don't use our podcast, of course, follow and continue to support the podcast and give us any feedback on what you like and what you didn't like. And yeah, 
Kawani Duns. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.